Well, thank you for your worship in song, and now we continue that worship in the Word. I uh, invite you to open up to 1 Samuel 18, uh, where we pick up, where we left off several weeks ago, and I'm very grateful, got a chance to listen to Larry Thompson, uh, his, how he spoke and his sermon from last week, uh, just a day ago, and just an incredible job, faithful to the text as always, uh, just humbled to serve with our elders who are men of, of the Lord and, and uh, can rightly divide the word, and I'm, I'm so very grateful for that. Um, this week, uh, we are going to talk about gospel friendships. Um, here's the truth and the reality for a lot of people. Sunday morning is the loneliest place uh, in, in all the world. Oftentimes, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or whenever you come to worship, uh, those are extremely lonely times. There are people that exist within the context of churches that do not and have not experienced what we would just call meaningful relationships. They want them and they desire them, but they can often come to church and sort of live in the sort of the shadows and in the margins of, of the church and not really know anybody and not really be known. And, and oftentimes church can be a very lonely place, it can be a very intimidating place. In 1 Samuel 18, we have a story of the Lord knitting together the hearts of two men. And God uses some language in this text about knitting and he talks about how Jonathan loved David and David loved Jonathan. And so before I get to go in and preach in, let me just say this, there is a group of, of liberal higher criticism scholars that will seek to, in today's language and with today's lingo, they'll seek to take this relationship that's found in 1 Samuel 18 and exists throughout scriptures and they'll twist it and they'll pervert it a little bit in order to imply the notion that, that excuse me, Jonathan and David had some sort of inappropriate relationship. And, and can I just say, to get this out of the way, there's absolutely nothing, there's absolutely zero within the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Greek translation of the Old Testament in any way that would intimate that there is some kind of inappropriate relationship between Jonathan and David has been proof text by many. And the only way we get there is if we read into things and we get to imply things that, that don't exist there. And so can I just say as a church, one of our goals as we come before the word of God, it is not to read into the word, but rather to pull out and to see what is there and what already exists. And I can tell you definitively that in no way and in no uncertain terms does that relationship exist beyond this deep friendship that existed between these two men. Now, with that out of the way, now let's get going, all right? Years ago, I was asked by a college student how and when I knew that I loved my wife. And when did I know that I was going to marry her? And I said, well, the reality for me was this, that I knew pretty quick that I was going to marry Haley. It took some convincing on her part to, to marry me or want to marry me. But one of the ways that I knew that I was going to marry Haley and, and that she was the love of my life and that I was going to pursue that is that that question, is she the right person for me, was no longer a question. Like it was a question that just sort of fell out of my mind and my vocabulary because we just knew. And, and at some point uh, in God's sovereignty, he, he knit together and wove together our hearts to where it was unquestionable for the both of us. And, and we knew the timing was right and, and the Lord was in it because we stopped asking that question. And all of a sudden it wasn't, is she the right person for me? But it was really like, how could I spend the rest of my life away from this woman? I need to lock her down quickly. And so God knit together our hearts. 
David just defeats Goliath in, in chapter 17. He's fresh off the battlefield. He goes to the, the king's court and he addresses Saul. And I want to pick up in verse 1. And the text says this, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The idea of knit that exists throughout the Old Testament is it typically is used in a phrase that is used predominantly to portray alliances that would exist within countries. And so the most literal understanding of, of the word knit means that there's this political alliance that they align because they have the same value system and the same goal and the same purpose. And so God knits their hearts together, same mission, same value, same vision. God brings them together, and it says that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 2, and Saul took him that day and would not let David return to his father's house. And David made a covenant with, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own. And notice what Jonathan does in verse four. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now a couple really remarkable things just happened in that moment. Jonathan was the heir apparent to King Saul. He was the, the firstborn. He was the one that had the rightful place to, to occupy Saul's position. And in this moment, we see God bring the hearts together of Jonathan and David. And then what does Jonathan then do in response to that when he sees the hand in the favor of God on top of David's life? What Jonathan does is he enters into this posture of humility and he begins to walk away and give away some of the privilege that he had in the position that he had in the possessions that he owned and the esteem that he was deserved as the prince to the king and he gives it up and he gives it away to a little shepherd farmer boy whom he sees the hand of God on. And God knit their hearts together primarily because Jonathan's heart was that of the heart of David. He wanted the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. He wanted to see God's rule and reign over his people. He wanted to see God's hand of blessing. Jonathan, in many ways, was a man after God's own heart. He's the, the Sam Wise uh, in the story of the Lord of the Rings to Frodo. Like, there he is, like, coming alongside him, and he wants to support David in every which way because he, he sees a couple of things that are oftentimes hard for us to grasp. He sees the success and the favor of someone else to the neglect of him. Can I tell you that one of the chief ways that we know if we are for people and if we have deep, meaningful friendships is when we can rejoice in their successes as much as they do and not grow in bitterness and not have an envious spirit that we can be for them, especially when they are successful. And that could be in the, in the business world, that could be at home, but you know that can also be at church. We can see God raise up men and women and, and he can equip them and give them gifts. And, and sometimes within church life, there can grow this envious, jealous spirit. Well, why is God using this person and not me? And, and I'm laying my, my gifts at the altar for the Lord to use. And, and for whatever in this moment, in this season, he's not using that gift. 
Why is he not using me? And, and he's using these other people. I'm, I'm a little bit better than them. I'm, I'm more talented than them. I'm more resourceful than them. I have more time. And, and yet, for whatever reason, we, we can grow in that animosity and in that spirit. But in this moment, Jonathan begins to give these things away. And notice, it says that wherever Saul sent David, David was successful. And so he makes him the, the man over the men who go to war. The shepherd boy, the ruddy youngest little son, this little boy all of a sudden has grown into a man and he has done so well and the favor of God is on him that Saul says, you're going to lead all my men of war. You're going to lead all of my men into battle. And this was good in the sight of the people who saw David's giftedness and it was also good in the sight of Saul's servant. So Jonathan gives up his position and his place of, of deep privilege. And he devotes to the well-being of God's people, God's chosen leader in David, and he chooses to honor David in this moment and not get bitter and envious and, and jealous. And, and can, I, can I just say this to us by point of application this morning? Jonathan is remarked in, in several different times as loving David and, and has this affection for David. And so can we answer the question, how does this love come from Jonathan's heart into David? Well, I think it primarily comes from the place that the love of God springs from a concern for the kingdom of God. And envy and jealousy and resentment and hatred, those things stem not from the kingdom of God, but rather from worldly priorities and a worldly mindset. From a mindset that is not concerned about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, but a mindset that is primarily worried about my kingdom here on earth as I wish it to be in heaven. That God would use me in the way that I want him to use me. That God would, would use me and that I, I, would, I would grow or, or not grow in my discontentment if he chooses to use me in ways that I didn't really want to be used. And, and I think primarily one of the chief ways that Jonathan is used by God in this moment is to be an encourager to David in this moment. And to walk beside him and to go into battle and to be trusted and to be loyal and to be a, a faithful servant to him for all the days of his life. And they would grow in that friendship and, and that love for one another, that brotherhood that existed there and not the envious, resentful attitudes and the hatreds that exist in Saul's life and in the world around them. And there was a unity of spirit that God brought about and he created in Jonathan. And he created in David. Can I say this to you that one of the chief aims is we believe that the Lord God in his mercy, he is the one that establishes unity in the life of relationships and churches. God is the one that does that. And what our job is as God's people, it's to maintain that unity. It's to guard it and to, and to shepherd it as God has given it to us. But, but hear me out on this. We will and must not be a people that are willing to ignore the truth or sacrifice truth for the cause of unity. I've seen and, and watched men and women who it's unity at all costs while we avoid the truth or the scandal and we s sort of distract or we sweep under the rug and, and God's people are not called to ignore the truth at the expense of maintaining the unity. But in fact, if you want to maintain unity in your relationships, if you want to maintain unity in your church and, and at your businesses and in your homes, you must speak about things truthfully. 
And you must be honest and, and caring and loving, but we must never sacrifice truth for unity and must avoid at all costs a spirit that divides us. And, and listen, that especially goes for what we say on Twitter and what we post on Facebook and what we watch on Instagram. That we mustn't tear each other apart and dissolve the unity that God has established to take shots at, at one another or to watch and participate in others take shots at one another. Otherwise, lest we become like Saul, we pick up in verse six where he says, and they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine. And the, woman, the women came out of the cities of Israel. They were singing and dancing to meet King Saul and the tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. Verse seven, and the woman sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And so he says, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And then from that day forward, notice what it says in verse nine, Saul eyed David from there on out. But all of a sudden, a jealous, envious spirit of a brother who was in the Lord, all of a sudden, everything became circumspect in that one moment, and every intention that David would have had, every motivation was then judged by Saul. And Saul began to think the worst of David, even in the very best of moments. Even as David gave his life and, and pursued giving his life for the sake of Saul and his kingdom as God's established king, Saul begins to read into motivation and he begins to read into the words of David. Friend, that cannot be a position that we as believers occupy with other believers. When we begin to ascribe intention and motivation of heart in the life of our relationships, it is one of the surest and quickest ways to dissolve a relationship. And not believe even in the very best of moments. Verse 10 says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. The scholars will contend, is this a demonic spirit? Is it God's spirit afflicting him? And, and there's lots of debate that goes on from there. But the thing to notice is not so much the content of the spirit is to notice where the spirit comes from. And in this moment, he says, the harmful spirit that came to afflict Saul came from God, from him. And it rushed upon him and it raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And, and he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and, and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. So something monumental just occurs in the text. All of a sudden, this jealous and envious spirit, this bitterness that exists, all of a sudden, this envious love begins to turn into a destructive love. So much of the degree to which Saul tries to take David's life, not just one time, but twice. He tries to take matter into his own hands. Because that jealousy and that bitterness began to, to embolden Saul and it began to take root. And, and this love that he once had for David was now replaced by anger and resentment and, and a fear that, that God was blessing someone else or the favor of God was on this one and, and not on me. And it says, and Saul was afraid because the Lord was with David in verse 12, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all of his undertakings. Why? Because it says the Lord was with him. 
And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood and fearful all of him. But all Israel and Judah, they loved David instead. For he went out and he came in before them. The question this text poses this morning, or the question I'll pose for us this morning, is how do we then react to someone and come alongside someone who at times can exceed our gifts and our abilities? How do we approach that and how do we wrestle with that? Because surely there's an understanding that there's always, I grew up in a, in a home that we competed in athletics and one of the things my dad always said to me over and over and over again, no matter how good you get at whatever sport you're gonna compete in, there is always somebody out there that's gonna be better than you. Somebody that's faster, somebody that's stronger, that has a higher IQ when it comes to the sport, there's always somebody better. And so how do you then respond to those moments, especially in ministry, especially in service? Well, can I just remind us that according to Jonathan, and we see elsewhere in the New Testament, that love always rejoices in the gifts of others. Jonathan in verse one rejoices in the gifts that David brings to the table and so he's for David. And he rejoices that God was using David in a way that, that God chose not to use Jonathan himself and so he rejoices in this posture and in this ability but it, but it also we see from Jonathan's behavior as he begins to give up certain things that love sacrifices for the gifts of others. I think it's easy to sacrifice for, for those that we love deeply. It's perhaps harder to sacrifice in the friendships where maybe the friendship is a, is a one-way friendship and the person is a little bit more difficult to love. I think it's easy when our hearts are knitted together, but, but even in, in those moments, even in our, our marriages, even in with the people that we love the most, one of the things that, that marriage will do to you is it will expose and it will show you and demonstrate how selfish you can be at times. And, and so we have bad moments in marriage. Everyone does at times. And so we wrestle with those things, but, but love and self-sacrificing love is what embodies Jonathan's posture and behavior towards David. And he gives up his sword and his dress and his robe in his position because he sees one that, that has come that is even greater than he. And he sacrifices for the gifts of others. I told you in the beginning that one of the loneliest places and one of the loneliest times during the week oftentimes can be for many people on Sunday mornings. And I've met people throughout the years that they, they roam in churches a little bit and they're always struggling to find friendships and meaningful friendships. And, and uh, listen, sometimes uh, the, the hard truth is, if, I was your, if I'm your pastor, I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes it's not everybody else, it is you, right? And there are some things that we need to sort of work on and grow in if we wanna have meaningful friendships. But, but sometimes churches just can sort of not be paying attention the way that they, they need to. And people will go from church to church and they're like, I'm not, I can't find meaningful friendships or, or we fall into this trap and, and listen to me because there's a lot of you that are new here over the past year and a half and I wanna say something really gently and pastorally to you. The trap in going to a new church is this, is that you always compare your current church to your previous church. And you always compare your current friendships to what friends you used to have 10, 15 years ago and how it used to be back in the day. Friend, can I tell you that that is a trap and that is destructive to you moving forward and finding a Jonathan in your life and finding another version of that Jonathan. 
Coming to churches is, is, is difficult at times, and it, and it takes a, a degree of intentionality to develop these, these friendships. One of the things that we will learn about Jonathan over the, the weeks to come is that Jonathan was very rarely not ever by David's side. He was always with David. And so for Jonathan, he, he had these uh, very quality moments that, that existed with David. But, but listen to me, do not buy the myth that in order for me to, to, to get quality time, I don't have to have quantity of time. If you want quality relationships with, with people, you have to put in the time. And you have to be there in the ordinary moments of life where there's no controversy, there's no reason that I have to show up and be, be present. I'm just coming to be faithful and I'm investing in the people that God has put in me and I want the quantity day in and day out. I illustrated it this way. This past week, I, I took my wife on, a, on our anniversary trip, celebrated 17 years of marriage this, this past week. Now, can you imagine that when I married Haley 17 years ago and I said, listen, uh, the honeymoon was great, the wedding was great, everything leading up to it, and we've had great quality time together that 17 years ago. And so here's the deal that I'm gonna make you. I'm a busy guy, you're a busy woman. Um, I will pick you up this time next year, same time, and we're gonna be gone maybe for four or five days. Maybe we'll go and be gone for seven or eight days and we'll extend it. And we are gonna make up for not seeing each other all year round, but listen, we're gonna have a a great vacation and an anniversary trip at least once a year. It wouldn't be much of a marriage then at, at that point, would it? Because I've not been with her throughout the course of the year and, and I don't have the quantity, the, the, the ordinary moments and the check-ins and, and being with one another and, and developing and working at the friendship and working at the marriage, working at the relationship. You know, churches are no different. You can't develop meaningful relationships and, and have meaningful friendships, Christ-centered and, and God-honoring if you're not there and you're not present. You know, um, this applies a little bit more to the first service, but I think it, it has some application here. I've said this to you before and I'll, I'll say it again. We are uh, on this uptick and watching COVID sort of ramp back up and we're seeing this Delta variant. There's another variant coming after that one and Lambda, something like that, and read about it. And I'm sure there's another version about that. And about a year ago, I had my physician told me, he said, listen, you need to settle into the idea that this is not a pandemic, this is endemic. And it's not going anywhere. It's not just gonna disappear and, and be eradicated, though we can be hopeful for those things, but, but it's here. And one of the results of that is that uh, all of a sudden, I graduated from not just being a, a, a lead teaching pastor, but became all of a sudden a televangelist. Okay? And, and since I'm convinced that uh, COVID is not going anywhere, I've decided to go all in to the televangelist. Uh, and uh, my bobblehead is going to be on sale in the Welcome Center next week. Uh, I have a book coming out. If you buy the bobblehead and the book at the same time, you will receive an extra blessing from the Lord and favor from him. Larry Thompson is going to be selling some holy water and we'll spray you with it for an extra 10 bucks. But we ask that you go tell everybody in the world about our ministry. The COVID's not going anywhere. And, and unfortunately, one of the things that's happened with that is that we have sort of settled in and some of us are coming back for the first time. Listen, church is designed biblically to survive pandemics and it is meant to be done face to face. 
It is meant, the intention is in person. Now, I'm not faulting anyone who would stay home during this time, and we respect that. I'm not chastising you. I'm not, I'm not saying do or don't, but here's what I am saying. It is really difficult to not forsake the gathering when we're at home watching, or maybe the TVs are relevant, but we're just checking in every once in a while. It's hard to have a Jonathan in your life or to develop a new one, or, or to be a David to someone without being physically present. And, and it's not so much checking off on a box that, hey, I showed up, and hey, I, I came to church, and, and hey, I heard from the Lord, and, and I heard his word, or it was great music, or, or maybe it was terrible music and terrible preaching. I don't know, whatever you think when, when you leave here, there's something to be critical about it. There's something to be thankful for it about it. I don't know, but the idea is I'm not coming to be served when I come to church, but rather I'm coming to serve someone else. And I'm coming to, to sacrifice and to meet needs in the, in the lives of other people, to, to be like Jonathan was to David. And to give away sometimes our, our, our positions and, and even our privilege in, in that moment and, and, and to, to yield it for, for someone else, to, to help them and, and to come alongside them. This is what Jonathan did. This is what the Lord is, is calling his people to do today. So the question for us this morning is, is this. When I commit to a church and I come to a church and I unite with that family and, and I join it, I come not because I, I like things or I prefer this setting or whatever that is, is because that God has called me not to 800 Westbury, the location, but rather he has called me to the people that are here to serve these people and to love these people, and to love our city as we love one another and we proclaim the gospel as we love and we take care of one another, that this is our most compelling form of evangelism, to live uh, together and to live life out together alongside each other. But quantity of time is far greater than quality of time. You need those quality moments. I need to, to be away with my wife at least once a year, at least. I need to, to have dates with her through, throughout the week that is just her and I so that we can talk and have those quality moments, but, but you don't get and make up for all of the neglect prior to that. And, and here's the truth, dads. Highly successful men oftentimes are the worst at this. And they'll go and take a, a two-week vacation in the summer and a, and a two-week vacation in December, all the while neglect their families throughout the course of the year, but do these large, big, extravagant vacations to make up for all the other times that they weren't home and they weren't around and they weren't loving their wives. We're the worst at it. But quality time comes when there's quantity time, being intentional about our relationships. And so the question this morning is just simply this, not just in our marriages, not just in our homes, but, but even here at the church, how are, are we creating a, a rhythm in our life that, that produces quantity, that we are here regularly, faithfully checking in, loving and serving and knowing and being known. If you want a Jonathan in your life, that's what's gonna have to happen. If you want a David in your life, that's what's gonna have to happen. 
With the irony of the scripture that connects us back to the gospel, we read as, as Jonathan begins to, to take off his robe and he gives up his, his badges and his honor and he gives up his office and his position that he occupied to lead the men of war and, and David takes it just as Jonathan did those things. Listen to me, the connection with the gospel is as clear as it could be that Jesus placed upon us his own righteousness. And he stripped himself and emptied himself and came the form of a servant so that he could serve and, and he could follow through on the cross and he could be offered as the propitiation for, for God's sins, which means that he was the, the wrath absorbed by the Father for every sin of every human being that has ever existed throughout all time. And that he would absorb the, the anger of the Father because of your sins and because of my sins. And he was slain and put in the tomb and, and died the death of a, of a treasonous prisoner, a criminal. So that his righteousness could ultimately become ours. So he could clothe us and not do what Jonathan didn't do and, and David giving it back and David giving away his seat of, of honor, but, but rather that we might be acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. He stripped himself to clothe us. He emptied himself so that we would, would be full. He did more than Jonathan. He clothed himself with our filthy rags and our filthy garments. And so this morning, the invitation is quite simple. Have you received that righteousness in your life? Have you let him take your filthy rags of, of sin and, and let him redeem those in, in the way that only Jesus could redeem? But maybe you're here and you're lonely. I talk to a lot of people like that as a pastor, you know. You'd be surprised how many people feel lonely on Sunday morning if they just don't articulate it and they don't tell you. But every once in a while I hear and I know, and they'll come talk to me and, and they'll, they'll see me. Can I just say this to you? If that's you, you feel lonely, you feel like you, you're struggling with friendships, then, then maybe today the first step of you building meaningful friendships today is just coming and telling one of our elders, one of our ministers, and letting us help connect you. We, we say a thing around here, we say circles more than rows. I love our rows, by the way. I love this room and this, this sanctuary. I'm glad that you're here to listen to, to God's word and to worship, but, but this isn't the most valuable time of the week for me. It's when God's people gather up in a circle and they care for one another and they, they learn from each other and they study God's word together. They're vulnerable with one another. Let their needs be known to one another. That's, that's the most important time under the authority of God's word. And then if you're lucky, you, you get placed in, in what we call uh, around here that we're gonna talk more about it in the weeks to come. We, we put you in a, in a sojourn group, in a small group with one or two other men and women and, and you begin to get really, you get much deeper. You begin to, to walk through some of the deeper issues in, in life and then you get your Jonathan. And you get your David. And you get your friendships. Don't believe the lie that you'll never have as good of friends as you used to have 15, 20 years ago. But also don't believe the lie that you can develop those friendships and those relationships apart from not being here regularly and coming and not forsaking the gathering. Let's pray and let the Lord 
work on our hearts and let him change us and let him mold us into the people that he wants us to be. Father, we ask that you would help give us all a Jonathan or a David in our life. You'd help us have quantity of time with our spouses, our kids, our small groups, our church family. But Lord, you would, you would also in that quantity, you would give us meaningful time and, and time with you and your spirit and, and under the authority of your word. And would you help us do that, find meaning in that. Father, I pray for anyone here today that feels lonely, that, that they're separated from you in that loneliness first, that they would receive by faith your goodness. I pray for anyone here today that is lonely in friendships, that, that they would tell someone that. And let us help guide and, and nurture and help us cultivate those friendships. And Father, could we be as bold as to pray that everyone in this room one year from now has a Jonathan in their life as a David in their life. So Father, would you hear our prayer we ask in Christ's name and God's people said,